Roe versus Wade has officially been overturned by the Supreme Court of the United States of America. And now it's time for us to ask the question, what happens next? Stay tuned. Hi, folks. Welcome to the Pro-Life Guys podcast. My name is Cam Cote. I am your host, and it's a joy to have you along. And right now is one of the most exciting times to be active in the global pro-life movement. We have just seen a monumental Supreme Court decision overruling Roe versus Wade through the Dobbs versus Jackson Whole Health uh, Women's Health Clinic ruling. This is incredibly exciting. And over the next couple of weeks here, we are going to um, start rolling out some of the really cool interviews that I've had the opportunity to engage with in the days after the uh, Dobbs decision came out. So today I'm talking with Father Frank Pavone, Executive Director, President, Founder of Priest for Life. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit about what's happening now with Priest for Life, what he foresees coming up, what he sees as being the major catalyst towards this decision, and what we need to be aware of going forward because now the spotlight is on the pro-life movement. Now it is our time to shine and it's important that we step up to the plate. And so I really hope that you enjoy this conversation. Before we dive into it, I want to invite you to check out our YouTube channel, um, Pro-Life Guys podcast on YouTube. Um, check out our website, prolifeguys.com. And if you want to buy some merch, whether you, whether you want to buy a sweet t-shirt, if you want to buy a water bottle or a coffee mug or a travel mug or whatever, buy one of our sweet books that we have. They're all available through prolifeguys.com. And if you want to partner with the show to help us grow, not only our reach through the podcast, but also our reach on street corners and on doorsteps, you can go to patreon.com slash prolifeguys. But without further ado, let's dive into my conversation with Father Frank Pavone from Priest for Life. Father Frank Pavone, thank you so, so much for taking the time to join us again on the Pro-Life Guys podcast. How are you on this historic day? Oh, it is historic, and I am, I am jubilant. I am exulting in, in spirit, and I happen to be with hundreds of other pro-lifers here at the National Right to Life Convention pre-scheduled event that just so happened to be the day that uh, Roe v. Wade was reversed. So feeling great. Good stuff. I, I'm sure that there's going to be some some celebrations and I'm sure there's horns honking and everything. I mean, how providential to have hundreds of people gathering to talk about the next steps in the pro-life movement, how to how to grow the pro-life movement on a day that we get this reflection. I'm, I'm curious in your takeaway, obviously you had seen the kind of leaked ruling that had come out a couple of weeks ago. I, I don't know if you saw that as too good to be true or what your thoughts were, but kind of walk me through what's going through your head right now. Is this something that has been inevitable? Is this something that, that's a surprise? Help me understand what the what's going through your mind as somebody who's been fighting this good fight for so long now. I have actually been preaching for decades that we are winning the pro-life battle and I have told audiences all across the country, mark my words, we will be having victory celebrations for the protection of the unborn. And the reason uh, that we were able to see uh, this as something uh, that would unfold, not quite inevitable, but certainly on um, the track to happen, were, were a few things. And the decision itself today brings it out that the Roe v. Wade, the, the, this whole concept of a right to abortion 
has never been in our Constitution. It's just not there. Um, and for 50 years, we've kind of been, uh, we have been, deluding ourselves into thinking that it's there. And so, so I've always said in my talks to pro-life people, you know, no lie can live forever. Truth pressed to the earth will rise again, as they said in the, in the civil rights movement, where somehow, you know, segregation was seen as a good thing. No, eventually the truth comes out. Secondly, the truth that has come out, the, reflect, the decision today also reminds us, is all the damage that's been done by abortion to so many people, starting, of course, with the, the children themselves who are killed. But you can't kill babies on this scale and not have a lot of, of negative repercussions on families, on society, and on our very system of law. And so we've been calculating that damage. We've been seeing that damage. And we've been convinced for a long time that eventually people are not going to be able to ignore that damage. The third thing that's been progressing, again, the decision mentions this too, is the uh, knowledge we have about the unborn child, the science uh, that was not there at the time of Roe v. Wade, although more was there at the time than Roe v. Wade, that the, than the court acknowledged at that time. Uh, but um, uh, again, no lie can live uh, forever. And then a fourth element is that we have seen, uh, this was not so much in the decision, but it's just in the political reality, we have seen how in our country the uh, awareness that elections affect the Supreme Court, this has motivated voters, especially over recent election cycles, recent, well, I guess we could say in the last 20 years or so, it's been especially on the mind of the voters, that something like uh, abortion and, and, and an issue like this, what kind of justices are we going to have on the Supreme Court, is, 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 is essential to resolve. And we saw people start to uh, work more in that, in that, in that way. To, to, we saw the support grow and grow and grow for pro-life candidates and for pro-life judges. And, and this is like a culmination today that, that this is what happens when you uh, when you have these kinds of, of judges, not that the judge is supposed to impose his policy preference, it's different. It's a different point than that. It's the point that um, that these kinds of, of of justices, like made this decision today, are saying you can't put into the Constitution rights that aren't there. If there are changes you want to make in public policy, you go to the you go to the lawmakers and. Because the right to abortion was put there, you have a correlation between, you know, judges who are pro-life and judges who are simply want to abide by the Constitution and say there's no, there's not, you don't put rights in there that don't belong there. Uh, and, and, and so people have voted in this way in America for decades. And today we had this decision by justices who were appointed by the last several pro-life presidents we've had, presidents who were elected especially with the Supreme Court and abortion in mind. Yeah. And, and there's so much to unpack there. And I'm sure that for the, the coming weeks and months, we can continue to unpack everything. And I'm going to ask you in just a moment here, Father Pavone, about what happens next. But I, I want to dive a little bit deeper into that because I, as I mentioned to you just off air before we started the recording, that I, I want to help people not in the States, whether it's in Canada where I'm at, whether it's around the world, 
make sure that they know that this wasn't lightning out of a blue sky. This wasn't, like you said, something that happened as a surprise to everybody in the pro-life movement. I wonder if there are a handful or even just a couple of real turning points that you saw over over your ministry in, in the pro-life worldview, or if this was just kind of a gradual progression towards, or if there was any kind of major changes that happened that helped accelerate this decision happening in the year 2022 and not in the year 2025 or 2030 or sometime further down the road. What do you point to as major catalyst towards bringing about this decision when we see it now? Well, one of them is uh, we had a, we experienced about 20 years ago, you know, the birth of this Silent No More campaign that we oversee at Priests for Life and Anglicans for Life. That that that's a big part of this. You can't go down the road of legal abortion for too long without experiencing, like we were saying, the the damaging impact of it, and that has broken into the public awareness more than ever. So that is a catalyst for a decision like this, because this has happened in other areas of our constitutional uh, development where the court would bestow a right, but then some decades later realize that the people that was trying to help were actually getting hurt. Uh, This is what happened with the civil rights uh, decisions, you know, and the separate but equal a justification that the Supreme Court gave the segregation, and then 58 years later reversed itself because it was clear that this was harming the very people that they were trying to help. Uh, so it, it, it it's the same way with people who get abortions. They're being harmed. They have been getting harmed. That was one thing. And the second thing was really was, was the election of President Trump in 2016, because that was a political revolution. And this was somebody who was promising to appoint the right kinds of justices like we uh, were explaining. And um, that was a big turning point. We saw with that election, the the real possibility of shifting the Supreme Court to a a more constitutional direction. And again, we need to emphasize it's a constitutional direction. It's not the direction of one or another uh, policy because that's not the role of the court. The role of the court is simply to apply the Constitution. But these, we knew that this was a change now politically that would create the, the, the possibility of a decision like this. This was not a surprise uh, out of the sky. No, we saw this coming. We saw it coming uh, over, recent, uh, over recent Supreme Court Uh, decisions, because the more the court ruled on abortion, see, you would think that the other side talks about precedent. They say, oh, we got to stick to the same, you know, major decisions that we made in the past. But, 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 But one of the reasons for that is that you want the law to develop in a consistent way. And when we looked at the ways that the Supreme Court was dealing with abortion, we saw just the opposite. It was inconsistent. It was self-contradictory. The Supreme Court would make a decision at one point, and then a few years later would make another decision on abortion, reversing what it said just a few years before. And it's been that way for 50 years. It's been so confusing. And that's, again, one of the reasons for today's decision that the justices said, now, the, 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 the basis on which this so-called right to abortion is, is, is uh, placed is too confusing. It's too inconsistent. It's not contributing to the 
consistent development of the law. Uh, so we saw all this coming. Love it. Love it. I, I hope that one day we can see um, a similar sort of thing here in Canada where we get legal stuff building towards the ultimate goal, obviously, of the pro-life movement of the protection of pre-born children, both on a social intuitive level, but also on a legal level. We talk about the three arms all kind of working together. And I, I know that you've got lots of stuff on the go. So I, I kind of want to end with a bit of a question as to what happens next. I'm, I'm sure that today is largely a day of celebrating and whatnot, but I'm curious I'm glad that you mentioned Silent No More Awareness and and how I'm sure that with this ruling, this is going to bring up a lot of past experiences for a lot of mothers and fathers who have had abortions and whatnot. I'm sure that we can talk about that angle. I'm sure that we can talk about a lot of other angles. I'm sure that there's a, with with obviously the focus on, on the Dobbs case today and all of these trigger laws that are going into effect across America, there's going to be a focus on the politics and the political component of what happens next. But I'm curious in your mind, apart from the the political component of legislation that gets pushed back and forth and sanctuary abortion states in California and New York and pro-life sanctuary states and all that kind of thing, on, on the ground level, on the human level, what do you think um, happens next? What does the pro-life movement have to be ready for and how do we respond appropriately? Well, we have to be now working with our, our state lawmakers to advance the protection of these babies in the state because the court is literally giving back to the lawmakers and the people the opportunity to, adv- to protect these uh these babies. In other words, the court is basically backing away. This is a decision that where the court is backing away. So listen, we're not going to interfere anymore with your right to resolve this, this policy question. So now we have to work to resolve the policy question. So in some, and the work is going to be different in different states. In some states, for example, now like Kansas and, and, and Michigan, we've got battles fully underway right now for efforts to change their constitutions. And the pro-abortion people are going to try to say there's a right to abortion in the Constitution and uh, on the state level, whereas now the Supreme Court has said it's not there on the federal level. So people have to get involved in those battles. In other states, you know, uh, there are trigger laws that say as soon as Roe v. Wade falls, we're going to institute protection for the unborn. So depending on how those laws are written, they may go into effect all by themselves, or maybe the legislature has to take some action. People need to get get involved in that right away, communicate with your state lawmakers and uh, encourage them. And then there are states where we've got to start from scratch and create more pro-life laws. Many states, the, the, um, the support is there, but the work has to be done. So what I've been saying over, over recent months is, you know, as this decision uh, uh, comes, get to know your state lawmakers, get to know them, get to know where they stand on this issue let them know where you stand and work with them. So that is one key area of what pro-life people in America need to do. Oh, but all around the world, what uh, this uh, decision invites us to do is look at all those things in medicine, science, culture that have favored the unborn. This decision would not have been able to, to come just as an edict from the court. The court doesn't have that kind of power over the culture. This decision is a result of dynamics in the culture where people are, let's just take one basic simple point, people are more aware of the reality of the unborn child. 
uh, you know, our first photo in our photo albums now is 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 when we were in the womb. So it, it, everybody, this is a worldwide thing. Can 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 uh, look at the progress that is being made. People in the first nine months of their existence are real people, and that awareness, that simple awareness, has been growing. And to continue to educate people, who is this child? Who is this? Why is the court saying there's no constitutional right to abortion? Is it perhaps because the baby is becoming better known and uh, his or her right to life is becoming more weighty in people's minds? Uh, this is what we, what we need to be doing, learning, talking about it. And then advancing in whatever way is appropriate in our own uh, circumstances, uh, the protection of these of these children. That includes, of course, finally, the ministry we do to to console, to strengthen, to help those who are pregnant but afraid. And we don't just mean the moms; we mean the dads too. To encourage these men and women to say, you know what, we, you can get through this. God has entrusted that child to you. We're all here to help you. You never have to feel you have to kill that child. Let's work to better solutions. So that the change in the law is there kind of as a boundary, but we don't want people to even go up anywhere near that boundary. We want to be able to give them the 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 the, the awareness that they're not alone and that they are in fact able to welcome and care for that life. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I can't think of a better way to put that when it comes to making abortion unpracticed, making it unthinkable, unnecessary, and inaccessible. All three of those build towards that that ultimate goal of making it unpracticed. Father Frank, I've, I've super appreciate the time I, I could spend all afternoon chatting with you. As always, I wonder just as a closing mark, I'm sure that there are some people that come to mind for you. Um, you're certainly one of the people that comes to mind to me for people who have, who have fought in the trenches for a long time and have contributed yeah. towards this ruling. I'm just curious off the top of your head, who comes to mind as major contributors um, in the pro-life movement that, that maybe deserve a shout out? Maybe people would be familiar with them, maybe not. Who comes to mind yeah. for you at, um, on this memorable day? Well, Jane Rowe of Roe versus Wade, to whom I was a spiritual guide, she she longed for this day. And Sandra Kano, the plaintiff in the companion case, Dovey Bolton. Bernard Nathanson, who longed for this day, on his deathbed, he said to me, Father Frank, how goes the crusade? You know, are we overcoming abortion? Um, he, he, he engineered the abortion industry in America. Um, uh, Dr. Jack Wilkie and his wife Barbara, they were pioneers in the pro-life movement. Nellie Gray, who founded the March for Life, Dr. Mildred Jefferson. These are all people I was privileged to know and work with side by side in this great movement. Joe Scheidler is another one uh, who guided direct action in the pro-life movement. They've all been called home to the Lord but they all, as you know, as the letter of the Hebrews tells us, for those who were born before the time of Christ, but they, they, they says they looked ahead and they saluted from afar the promised salvation. These, analogously, these leaders I just mentioned, and many more, saluted from afar the very day we are celebrating now today. And uh, we have a lot to be grateful for for the path that they carved for this movement in which, as you say, I have been also a leader uh, and have been happily uh, building on, on the work these great people did to uh, advance the protection of the unborn. Amen. Amen. I'm sure there's countless others that we could mention, and I hope that we can um, give some of them shout outs in the weeks and days and months to come. 
Father Frank, thank you so, so much for your time. Um, God's blessing on, on the conference that you're a part of and for all the work that you're doing with Priests for Life. Um, and I hope that this is an exciting journey that we're just embarking on post Roe versus Wade. Amen. Thanks for having me. God bless you too. All right, folks. Father Frank Pavone, a great friend of the program. So cool to be um, getting to know him better and better. I, I've said this a, a countless times, how cool it is to meet a lot of my pro-life heroes through doing a podcast. I've had the opportunity to chat with Father Frank several times now, um, and I look forward to chatting chatting with him more. And I really love how he focused not only on what brought us to this point, but I really appreciate his focus on the post-abortive healing ministries. Obviously, as many people look towards the law and court rulings to guide their moral compass, as we have this reversal, thank the Lord for the reversal of Roe versus Wade, we are having millions and millions of people, not only in America, but around the world, who have chosen abortion for their children, who are now probably in a whole new way going to be grappling with that decision. And so it's so vital that the pro-life movement responds with charity and clarity, not undermining and not cutting our own feet out from under us, suggesting that they made the right decision for them. It was a mistake. It was an error. Tragically, they made a choice, intentionally made a choice that was going to kill their preborn child. And now is our opportunity to help them find hope and healing within our churches, within the pro-life groups that we are working with. Father Frank has been a leader within Silent No More Awareness, bringing post-abortive healing to countless mothers and fathers. And so I think that's an important message for us to remember going forward. And, and just really, really appreciate each of you for tuning in. And I hope that we can use this opportunity as the pro-life movement to engage as many people as possible in meaningful conversations, the apologetics that we cover week in and week out. And just to put a bow on that, we have talked about how to interact with post-abortive mothers and fathers on a number of occasions now on the podcast. I want to offer a little bit of a summary especially on that note of interacting with moms and dads who've chosen abortion for their children before. What I want to suggest as kind of an opening component, maybe, I mean, and so this is if they haven't directly revealed to you yet, but you have some kind of a, an indication that maybe they're struggling with a personal experience with abortion. I want to volunteer vulnerability right off the bat, because being vulnerable about something as profound as as high stakes as an abortion experience is really daunting for a lot of people. They don't know if they're going to be met with judgment and condemnation. They don't know if they're going to be met with anger and frustration or apathy or what. And so, so often in conversation, when I meet somebody who I, I'm seeing flags that this person may have an abortion experience, I'm going to volunteer the information that you know what? I have friends from high school, from university, who are living in my life now who have chosen abortion, and I still deeply care about them, and I want the best for them. Offering that information, letting them know that I'm not standing on some high horse, I'm not going to go through a, an entire rap sheet of all of my sins and, and terrible decisions that I've made, but just letting them know that I know people who have had abortions and that I care deeply about them, and that I want to love them and care for them and support them to help them find hope and healing. It's amazing the number of times I've shared that. And then immediately the response is, you know what, me too. My best friend had an abortion. My spouse had an abortion. My girlfriend had an abortion. I had an abortion. Whatever it may be, 
and it opens that forum, that opportunity for um, for encounter, for companionship to be able to open it maybe a little bit further and ask the follow-up question of, I'm so sorry to hear that. Have you had the opportunity to speak to somebody about what you went through? We may not be professional counselors. We've talked to folks like Lisa Rowe from Supporter After support after abortion um, several weeks ago or a month, couple months ago now probably. Um, and and a lot of the tools that she does within her ministry, we've talked to other folks from post of Healing Ministries as well, Father Frank, and very, very much involved. But to be able to open up that opportunity that if they feel comfortable and if they're willing to share what they've gone through, that's what I want to open up for them. That I want to love them genuinely and I want them to know that I care about them. I want to seek to understand what what pressures, what forces were pushing them towards abortion, what was um, happening in their life, what was the, the craziness that was contributing towards their decision for abortion. And once they've helped me understand what they were going through, I want to start offering a different perspective of, you know, if you and I had a friend right now who was in a similar um, situation to where you were, what kind of help? could we offer so that they didn't have to make the same decision that that you made or didn't feel like they have to make that same decision and then starting to talk about some of the pregnancy support resources available not only the material support but the family support the emotional support the psychological support spiritual support sharing a lot of the beautiful ministry that is available through the pastoral arm of the pro-life movement and then from there you offer that different perspective on a third party entity and then bringing it closer to home. And so if it's not a friend of ours, but rather if you find yourself in that situation again, or thinking back to the situation that you were in, could we could we talk through the support that was available and what I could have done to help you make a different decision? Could we agree that even if that support was not available, even if it was going to be incredibly challenging, we don't solve incredibly challenging situations by killing innocent humans? That's the route that I want to go when I'm talking to somebody on a street corner, on a doorstep, in a lunchroom who's had an abortion. I want to invite them to be vulnerable by proactively being vulnerable myself. I want to seek to understand and help them understand that I genuinely care about them and that I want them to find hope and healing, understand the forces that were in play, and then start talking about a different perspective as to how we handle those challenges without killing preborn children. So um, I, I hope that makes sense. If you have questions about that, I am looking forward to having other representatives of post abortive Healing Ministries come on the show again in the future here. Um, we had a bunch more interviews coming up down the next couple of weeks here from people like Mark Crutcher, from um, Josh Brom, from countless others. Really excited about all of those conversations in the aftermath of the overturning of Roe versus Wade. But thanks a ton for tuning in. I hope that you enjoyed this conversation with Father Frank Pavone. You can check out a few um, sweet links about his group and our group in the show notes. And I hope that you have a great rest of your day, wherever you're at, however long there is left in your day. I hope that it's wonderful. Thanks much and God bless. Mm-hmm.